As we prepare to turn our eyes upon Jesus and listen to him through his word, let's go to our Lord again in prayer. Father, this morning, help us to turn our eyes upon Jesus. Help us to see again how you have shaped us, how you have called us, and how you have brought us into your presence through the work of Jesus. And Lord, we ask that you see, help us to see both how Jesus has been at work in us and how we can be at work through him. Lord, through your spirit, open your word to us this morning so that it speaks to us with your power. We ask today that you speak, O Lord, to us. Amen. So we're continuing a brief series on Romans chapter 12 this morning. We're calling this series Patterns and Puzzles because we're, we're reflecting on the pattern of the Christian life and what it looks like for each of us to, to pattern our life after Christ. And also we're thinking about uh, the puzzle of, of how we live, of how we fit within the church, of how our lives fit into God's plan. So Romans 12, patterns and puzzles, and we are reading Romans 12, verses 3 to 8 this morning. So hear now the word of the Lord. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. This is the word of the Lord. So I was in a high school drama and debate class for a few years, and there was one particular day that we were doing some practicing and reviewing each other's work, and, and taking a break, we, we got into a bit of a conversation. And and Sarah was part of the conversation. I don't remember her last name, but, but I remember her car because she drove a very distinctive burnt orange Volkswagen Jetta that always looked to me a little bit like it had a beak on the front. And Sarah had a very beak-like nose, so it seemed like one of those things where, you know how pets and people sometimes look alike? Sometimes cars and people look alike? Well, Sarah was having this conversation. I think Tyler was there and John Boo, who was kind of sort of Sarah's boyfriend and I. And Sarah, kind of out of nowhere, said, I'm a great driver. And John Boo was like, you were in two yards last week. I said, wait, what? Yards? And Sarah said, yes. I, okay, last week, you know, I missed the turn by school, so I, so I kind of turned wrong, and, you know, I, I ended up in someone's yard. Like, you mean, like, the place that has the light post and the extra wide sidewalk and then kind of the extra concrete space past that? You missed that turn? Yeah. Okay. And then, yeah, there was that other time I was going over to John's house, and I just missed the driveway by a little bit. And John says, you were 10 feet over. We could have fit my car and my bike and a dog in between where you were in the driveway. How, you thought by a little bit? And Sarah said, well, yeah. But besides stuff like that, I'm a great driver. So after that, whenever I saw a burnt orange Volkswagen Jetta coming, I turned. 
because you never knew where Sarah was going to be. And this actually is pretty common. There have been a number of surveys over the years, and, and I won't give you the exact uh, research results, but, but a lot of them show basically that other people would agree that their opinion of their driving is very different from everyone else's opinion of their driving. And also, surveys tend to find that people will acknowledge that, that yes, maybe I feel like I'm this good of a driver, but actually I'm more, if you really like watch me drive, or get honest with me, I'm probably more about here in terms of, of how I drive. Most people rate themselves as above average, but don't actually function that way when it comes to driving. And that's true in a lot of life. And Romans 12 comes to us and it invites us in verse 3 to, to apply this to our spiritual life and to think about ourselves with the right measure. To think about ourselves with the right measure. We mostly overestimate, and maybe sometimes we underestimate, how we are actually doing in our spiritual lives. And so Romans 12 tells us, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. In other words, when you look at yourself, be honest with yourself. Don't, don't think of yourself too highly or too lowly. And we probably, for the most part, Air in one of those two directions. You might be hearing me talk and you might get into that mode of, of giving yourself a savage mental beating. Yep, that confirms that I know I'm no good and I wasn't any good and I've never been any good, but now I'm sure I'm, I'm no good. Sober judgment says I'm, I'm nothing. Some of us have that tendency to beat ourselves up. But what's probably more common is to build ourselves up and to say, yep, I am so good at sober judgment and self-awareness that I know that I'm not better than other people. I am, in fact, so good at knowing myself that I can tell you that I am, I am quite extraordinarily humble. And so on and so forth. And we laugh, but it perhaps is more true of us than we might want to realize. And this text... Well, the message of this text in part is today, if you are somebody who tends to beat yourself up, to stop it. And if you are somebody who tends to build yourself up, then stop that too. That's not what this text calls for. What this verse calls for is, to, uh, is for us to get in touch with reality, and in particular, for us to get in touch with the reality that Christ brings into our life. And there, there is a way of understanding these verses that is a little different than how I think we usually understand them, but that I think is really helpful. These verses tell us to think of ourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. And how we usually read that is, if I have a lot of faith, I should think highly of myself. And if I have not very much faith, I should think lowly of myself. But that's not actually where the text is calling us to put our attention. This text, when it talks about the measure of faith, doesn't actually want us to, to look down and to reflect on our faith. What it wants us to do is think about the shared faith that we have in Jesus Christ. The measure of faith there is not about your level of commitment to the Lord. The measure of faith there is the story of Jesus Christ and this faith that we have been given. The Christian faith that tells us that God created us, that the Lord Jesus redeemed us, that the Holy Spirit transforms us, that's the measure of faith that we're supposed to evaluate ourselves by. And let's work this out a little bit more because it's not necessarily intuitive. 
The idea in verse 3 here is not, think about how strong your faith is and then decide how good you are. That's not really it. This, this gets back to Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, which we talked about last week. And if, if you weren't here, you can check out that sermon on our website or YouTube channel. But it also gets back to Romans 1 through 11, and there's this whole building picture of, of how God's mercy is more. God's mercy is greater. God's mercy is given to us. The, the measure of our faith is ultimately the measure of God's mercy, and God's mercy is always more than all of our failures and all of our sins. God's mercy is more. Look to Jesus, not to your own subjective faith. But then turn the focus and look at yourself in light of Jesus Christ. Earlier in Romans 12, the Lord calls us to be a living sacrifice and to not conform to the patterns of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we live into God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's all leading up to verse 3, and now verse 3 wants us to be thinking to be thinking about what God's good, pleasing, and perfect will looks like. And when we do that, we, we should arrive at a measure of hopelessness and hopefulness. When we look at Jesus, and then we look at ourselves, we should be hopeless because we do not measure up, and none of us measure up. And if we try to, to evaluate how great our faith is, well, okay, you might have this much faith or you might have this much faith. But if we measure ourselves by the infinite measure of Christ, it's all nothing. And we might have this much goodness, we might have this much goodness, but compared to the full goodness and the overwhelming glory of God, all of us are like nothing. And so if we measure ourselves by Christ and we think of ourselves with honest, sober judgment, then we, then we have to admit that it's hopeless, that we can't accomplish this on our own. But it should also make us hopeful because if we look at the measure of Christ, well, the measure of Christ is infinite in glory and goodness, but also infinite in compassion, graciousness, kindness, love, support, transformation. So even when we fail, even when we don't measure up to the measure of Christ, Christ is still pouring out the full measure of His grace on us. So even when we fail in the Christian life, the Lord still succeeds in his plans for us. So whether our tendency is to, to beat ourselves up because we aren't good enough or to say we're so great, well, when we, when we look at Christ, we recognize that Christ is great, and we also see that he is gracious, and we see that he is at work in us, and so, and so we can serve joyfully. And you absolutely have to get this. You absolutely have to get this to live a vibrantly Christian life, that it is not about you. We are only able to really serve the Lord with gratitude if we start with how great and gracious He is. If you are still trying to earn your way to the Lord, or if you are still congratulating yourself on how good you are, you cannot live in true joy because you are still at work. But when you recognize how much God has given you, then it's all joy. And then it is no longer work, but it is, well, it is working out who you are. It is responding in gratitude and joy and community because of what Christ has done for you. And so when we think of ourselves with sober judgment, we get that picture of Christ pouring out his grace and his gifts on us. And in Greek, the word for grace and gift are, are almost the same. 
well, then we get what it means to, to really live for the Lord. And what Romans 12, 4, and 5 calls us to do when we live for the Lord is to function as one body. Those verses tell us, just as each of us has one body with many members, and those members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We find our place in Christ as we find our place in His body, the church. And this is, this is a hard message for us to hear these days because we are very individualistic. But, well, Tim Keller in one of his sermons talks about how a congregation is not an aggregation. An aggregation is just a group of things randomly thrown together. A congregation is a group of people brought together. Let me give you some pictures of this. And, and we're going to build, some of them are scriptural pictures, but the, the picture we get here in this text, I think, is, is probably the epitome. Well, we are, we have these brown hymnals called the Worshiping Church. And when we gather as the Worshiping Church, we might picture ourselves as separate units, as if we could take, you know, one of us and put us over there, and we could take another one of us and put us over there, and we could take another one of us and put us over there, and that would all be fine. We're the Worshiping Church, but we're not really that connected. And that, that emphatically is not a scriptural picture of how Christ intends His church to work. But a picture that is scriptural, and if, if you look at the bricks that we have on each side in the back of the sanctuary, there's a scriptural picture of us being living stones, of us being living bricks built together, cemented together in Christ and the Holy Spirit. And, and that's a much better picture because you can't just walk up and pull one of the bricks out of the wall. You can't do it. And you see these bricks who are up 10 or 20 or 30 feet in the air, and, and they are able to be there not by themselves, but because they are connected to the whole building. That is a, a better image of what the church is. And then there's another image, an image of, of a plant or a tree. And by the way, you might not know about this tradition, but anytime we have a birth, one of the Sundays after that, we have a flower out to, to help us recognize and give thanks. So this is for Riker Heisinger, who was born about a week and a half ago. But there's a picture in John 15 of the church as, as Christ being our root, our vine, and all of us being branches. And that's, that's an even better picture because a plant is alive and organically connected and inseparable. And it all grows together and it needs all the parts. But then we come to this text and to some other texts like 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4. And it tells us that the body of Christ is, is a body not just an aggregation, but in fact, one body. And we are all members of that one body. Because we belong to Christ, we all belong to each other. Now, this is a really hard message for us to really hear these days, and I think there's a, a number of reasons from our context why that is. For one thing, we are a very, very individualistic, do-it-yourself kind of culture which in many respects is wonderful, but when it comes to us truly being a community, it creates a challenge. And these days, we are so isolated from each other. This was a trajectory that I think started years and years ago, but, but COVID accelerated it. We have all these comforts and all these conveniences, and now we've gotten these habits of, of being isolated. And so it's really easy to just stay home and to order everything from Amazon and to have your food delivered and to, to live stream church if that's your thing. But we are becoming more and more separate from each other. And we are polarized. More and more people are, are out there, and it's the loudest and most extreme voices that get the most press and the most attention. So, 
So we tend to be becoming more and more separate. And, and if we find a community that doesn't agree with us, it's really easy to step out of one faith group, group and into another. And so we become more and more divided and more and more polarized. We struggle with any kind of real community and real unity these days. But Romans 12 tells us that if you belong to Jesus, then you belong to this community. And there is a real challenge and a real joy to that. The challenge is that, well, the moment we're in culturally keeps pulling us further and further apart. And, and it's really nice to just be in our own business and not have anybody else who we have any obligation to and, and not have anybody else who can speak into our lives. There is a challenge to, to embrace the obligations and the vulnerability of community. But there's also a joy. We, we wither and die when we are alone. We are not built to be alone. If you see a branch separate from a tree, it will die. If you see a member of a body just flopping around out there, that's awful because a body is supposed to be united, not separated. We are built to be together. And so a challenge for us, and, and this is always the case, but especially so in our moment, our challenge is to embrace what it means to really be one body to really recognize that we belong to each other, and that means both obligations and joys. How are you stepping back from the community, and how are you stepping into the unity that Christ has created for you? One way that we step forward into the unity that Christ has created for us is to use our God-given gifts, and that's where verses 6 to 8 bring us. So we're told to see ourselves honestly, to see ourselves all as members of one body, and then to use our gifts for the good of this body and the good of the world. The text tells us that God has given all of us different gifts according to the grace given us. And, and so we all have gifts. And again, if your tendency is to kind of beat yourself up, you might not see the gifts that you have that would be of value to anybody else. And if your tendency is to build yourself up, you might think that you have all of the gifts. Well, the text tells us that each of us has been given certain gifts. And so, yes, we all have gifts. And no, no one has all of them. But all together, we as members of one body can build up the church. And Romans 12 here lists seven, seven gifts. Prophesying, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, showing mercy. There's other places in the New Testament, especially where there are what we call gift lists. Where there's lists of there's this gift in the church and this gift and this gift and this gift. And none of the lists are the same. And that drives some people absolutely nuts. And there are people who have spent whole books trying to harmonize the lists and show how they're all the same lists. And that's really not all that helpful. The point is not, here are exactly all the spiritual gifts. So if you don't hear one of those seven and have it resonate with you, it's, it's not because you're missing it. It's because there are more gifts. And I don't know if we can even nail down exactly how many spiritual gifts there are. There are probably 15 or 20 mentioned in Scripture, but... But no one really has a good, this is the exact number. But God works in and through each one of us. He has given us his grace and given us his gifts so that we can belong and so that we can serve. And there are some real challenges and roadblocks and opportunities for trouble here. There are, there are some people who are simply terrible at recognizing when they do not have gifts. They may wish to do a certain thing, and in fact, everyone else who has ever spent 30 seconds in the room with them knows they should not do that thing. 
Perhaps they think they are good at showing mercy, and in fact, they are rather harsh. Perhaps they think they're great with children, and in fact, children are scared of them. There are these challenges in the church that we have to wrestle through that sometimes the gift you think you got ain't the gift that you got. But then there's also a real challenge that churches often squish or inhibit or deny people's gifts. That there is an opportunity, and and for whatever reason, maybe it's a structural problem, maybe it's a personality problem, maybe, maybe it's just how life is and things are busy, but there are times that people's gifts kind of get shunted to the side or aren't able to fully exhibit themselves. And so there is a a challenge for all of us to reflect with sober judgment on ourselves and to ask others' opinions and to really be open to leading about whether what we think our gift is is our gift. But there's also opportunities for us as a church to ask, are we really encouraging everybody's gifts? Or how we organize our church. We need to have some kind of organization. But, but is our organization really helping people to thrive? Or is the organization becoming a means in itself? Or an end in itself rather than a means to an end? Are there things we're doing that, that just aren't clicking? We have these needs to think about this individually and communal, communally. And the path God calls us to is both to discern and to use our gifts. And we are, in particular, this, this next couple months, starting off a new ministry pathway here at Faith that is exactly designed to help you and to help us together discern what gifts God has given us and how we can use those to build up His church. We're calling this pathway designed by God, and the idea is to help all of us get in touch with, with how the Lord has, has built each one of us with how he has designed each one of us to fit within the broader body of Christ. And there'll be a couple announcements. There's some brief stuff in the bulletin there. There will be more info coming up, but I want to talk you through this just a little bit this morning because I think it is an exciting new opportunity. In a few weeks, we're going to offer a survey, and and we'll offer it again down the road too, but in a few weeks, we're going to offer a survey to help you reflect on what your spiritual gifts are. How have you functioned in the past? What things around church or in service to the broader world, what things get you excited? And then we're going to have some different modules, some different opportunities for you to reflect more and in more depth. What what has worked well for you in the past? And what have maybe been some ministry or service things that you have just been miserable in? And who are you as a person? How has God built you? How have your life experiences shaped you to bring you to a certain place of giftedness? And we'll have a couple of classes. Pastor Dave will leave a couple of classes on, on all of this and, and how, how we can move forward in getting hold of, of thinking with ourselves of sober but, joyful judgment, jo- sober but joyful judgment and seeing how the Lord is at work in us. And then we're going to provide an opportunity down the road, if you, if you want, to, to sit down with a couple of people and talk through all of that and to have a couple of people just listen and reflect with you. How has the Lord worked in you? And not generically, how has the Lord worked in everybody, but how has the Lord worked in you? What is the story of God's grace in your life, and what is the story of how God's grace can overflow into the lives of others? Now, that's, that's one particular pathway we're developing here. But the pathway isn't that important. What is important is the goal. And the goal that we want to have here, well, because it's what the Bible gives us, and the goal that we want to have here that really fits with who faith has been over the years, but, but we want to enhance what we've always done, the goal is to have all of us have some sense of, of God has gifted me with this. 
And before that, as we've talked, we want some sense, everybody to have a sense, God is merciful to me, a sinner. And isn't that amazing that God loves me? And then see not just how God has saved you, but how God is at work transforming you and how, how God is taking the person he has made and how he has shaped your life experience and how he is opening up doors for you to serve. That's the goal. And that, that is the picture Scripture invites us to, to see all of us as members of a healthy, thriving body where each one of us is doing our part and relying on and loving and trusting and celebrating the gifts of others even as we serve in our own way. We want to grow in becoming more and more like Christ and doing his work more and more here and doing his work more and more out in his world. So one of the commentaries that I'm working with for this Roman series is by a, a very famous uh, New Testament scholar called N.T. Wright. And he has a gardening story that I want to share with you today as we wrap up. I thought about changing it to biking because that would resonate more with me, but we're going with gardening. So there's this group of friends that gets together one morning and they stayed up late talking last night and, and they're really excited because they all love gardening. They love it. And there is no proper gardening shop within 20 miles of their little town. There is, there is a gap and they're going to fill it. And so they sit down and they think about how they're going to work this out and they start assigning roles. And, and Jeff has a lot of contacts in the business world. He knows everybody, he's done all the things, and, and so he knows how to get sponsorships and where to go for advertising, and he just knows everybody. So he's going to be the strategy and vision guy, and also the government permits and all of, all of that kind of stuff. And Ruth just retired from working at the local bank for 30 years, and so she knows all the finance people, she knows all the ins and outs of how to get the loans and, and what you have to say and what's going to work and what's not going to work, and, and she also is really good with the numbers. She will track it to the penny, maybe even the half penny. And so Ruth is going to be the money person. And Thomas, well, Thomas can count to 10 with both hands, and if he has to go higher than that, he has to take his shoes off because he is, he is not a math guy at all. But he is magical with vegetables. He is famous for growing the biggest or the tastiest of anything, anything at all. So he's the vegetable department guy, and, and he will talk your ear off and send you home with a plan to grow the biggest pumpkin or whatever that you've ever seen. And Barbara, people drive all the way across town just to do a slow drive by her house because she has a whole lawn full of flowers. And they all bloom at different times of year or even different times of day, so anytime you drive by Barbara's house, it's different. So she's the flowers and shrubs guy, girl. I'm going to add one in here just because Pastor Mac was around this summer. Mac loves trees. He knows everything there is to know about trees, so he is the tree guy. If you want, if you want to get a tree or a shrubbery, well, Mac is your man. And then Jerry. Jerry's not great in the garden. He has fun. He likes it, but, but his real skill is in building stuff and fixing stuff. You give the man bailing wire and duct tape, and he will make, a, he will make for you a greenhouse shouldn't be possible, but in Jerry's hands it is. So he's, he's the maintenance and facilities guy. And then everyone looks around the table and Richard is left. And Richard is all thumbs. Anything Jerry can make, Richard can break. His garden is always a mess, full of weeds, but he loves it. And what he really loves actually is giving people tours. And what he really, really loves is going to other people's gardens and talking with them about what they should do. And then it clicks. Richard is our sales guy. 
He will convince you that you need things you didn't think you needed and that you never knew about until he started talking to you about it. Richard's the sales guy. And so, so the gardens in that small town are going to be blessed like they never have been before. Now, right after giving that parable says, a lot of us might be thinking, if only it could be like that in the church. If only the church could be like that, where Jerry and Richard and Barbara and Ruth and Thomas, they all, they all know their gifts and they all, they all lean into their gifts and it works for everybody. Well, the church is not always like that, but it should be. And it could be. Now, we will never reach perfection in this life, but, but as, we, as we pay more attention to how much God has blessed us, as we recognize that we are not working for our salvation, but we are working out our salvation, as we come to see ourselves more and more realistically with the strengths and the weaknesses God has given us, and as we, as we grow in unity together more and more, then we see the body of Christ being built up in ways that, that involve less and less have to. I have to be on this committee. I have to do this work. And more and more get to. I get to do this ministry. I get to be part of this thing. God calls us more and more, and he equips us more and more, and he makes us more and more to where we get to do what he calls us to do, not to where we have to do it. God has graciously given you of his gifts. In his power, he is at work in you. God is gracious. God is gracious, and he has given all of us gifts for his glory and for the good of the body. Let's use our gifts together. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful. We are grateful, first of all, for the work of Christ on our behalf. And Lord, if we have not yet truly received your mercy, if we are still beating ourselves, beating ourselves down or building ourselves up foolishly, help us instead to look to Christ. And Lord, we pray that if we are in Christ, if we do belong to him, that, that you would help us to grow in our knowledge of Christ and our knowledge of ourselves. Give us enthusiastic hearts to serve. Help us to see more and more how we have been designed by you and so to live into that. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.